And have a seat if you would. Today, I want those of you on the Battle Creek camps, put your heads together and thank those at Midtown and Chicago for joining us today. We're so glad uh, that you're here. And uh, we welcome uh, both of you, and I want to say hi to the campus pastors over there, Dean Johnson. Uh, many of you know he came out of the Battle Creek campus, <clears throat> knocking it out of the park at Midtown. In a couple of weeks, they're going to their fourth service at Midtown. So Dean and all of you at Midtown, we rejoice with you and, and what God is doing there. Chris Wright in uh, Chicago, uh, who is plugging along and, and getting ready to build that thing. We are counting down to the days to the official launch on Palm Sunday, April the 13th, that we officially launched uh, that campus in Chicago. So put your hands together for Chicago again, and we say to you, we're excited. And, and uh, in fact, we have three teams uh, from Tulsa going to Chicago and, and over the next several weeks between now and, and uh, Easter Sunday to go help. And so if you want to be on one of those mission trips and go help in Chicago, uh, you can see David Robbins and that group there. Uh, and I just want to tell all of you today how excited I am about the next campus, which is coming at 3rd and Utica in downtown Tulsa. And uh, yeah, rejoice with God in that. We went this week over there, and uh, if you follow me on Facebook or on Twitter, you saw this week I posted a picture of the staff team over there praying uh, in, in that worship center, and uh, I've been over there half a dozen times. It's, I get lost every time, uh, not getting there, but in the building because it is so massive and it's such a maze uh, to try to figure out your way around there. Three worship centers, one seat's about 150, one seat's 750, uh, which is built in 1923. I'm, I've told you this before. It, it may be the coolest worship center I've ever been in. That one that seats 750, built in 1923. Stained glass around. It's just awesome. And, and, uh, and then there's one uh, that seats 1750 that Oral Roberts was clearly consulted in. And, and uh, the design of that building and the angles on it, you know, are exactly 1970-something. You know, the, just the angles that were built in there. But it seats 1,750 people. And, uh, and so we classroom after classroom after classroom. In fact, here's what I want you to do. At Midtown and at Battle Creek, I want you to reach in front of you. I want you to take that Connect card out. And on the back side where it says, my decision today, this very last blank that says other, if you're thinking about going with us to downtown, and you're thinking about going and relocating uh, where you worship from either Midtown or Battle Creek, and you're going to go be a part of that, or you're praying about going and be a part of that, we want to know who you are because we want to do meetings in the next few weeks and, and next few months and coming months uh, with just those people so we can, spot, we can talk specifically to you. And so right, just write downtown right there. If you're thinking about being a part of that and you want to join us there in that exciting work and what God's going to do uh, on that part of the city, you, you mark that on the card, and we will... Uh, we'll get with you very, very soon. Now, we're in this series called Epic, and we've been walking since August through these epic stories in the Bible, beginning in Genesis 1, coming all the way to Easter. We're going to continue this a few more weeks into April. Uh, and on Easter Sunday, uh, this whole thing is coming to a pinnacle in the resurrection, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus Christ as we make our way to that. And we've been following the outline in the Jesus Storybook Bible, and we've been in all of our small groups from babies all the way to senior adults uh, and all of our community groups, we've been following along uh, together. And today we come to this story, and it's a great story. You probably, Many of you probably read it before. It's the feeding of the 5,000. 
And what I want to do with this story is I want to take you step by step by step by step through this story because within this story is a principle about what we have and what we do with it. A principle about what we have and what we do with it. And we call it the multiplication principle. Uh, the best book on this principle that I've ever read, thousands of us read it several years ago. We ought to do that again and all read it together again uh, sometime in the future. But is Robert Morris, Pastor Robert Morris of Gateway Church, in Dallas, Texas area, the book is called The Blessed Life. And if you've not read The Blessed Life, let me just tell you, it's, you ought to read the book. And I want you, if you've got your Bible, to turn over to Luke uh, chapter 9. And we're going to walk through this passage. And I want you to put yourself in the position as being one of the disciples today. And so I want you to go through this in your head that you're one of the 12, okay? And you're, you're one of the 12 that is following Jesus. And you've been all around the hillside and the seashore surrounding Galilee, okay? And you've been in Capernaum. You've been in, in uh, Tiberias. You, you've been in all of these, you know, 10 Roman cities that have been built in that region. You've just been going city to city to city, getting in the boat, as we talked about last week, going across the lake, storms being calmed, and all of these miracles are happening. Dead people are being raised to life. Uh, sick people are being healed. Lepers are being healed. The storm has been calmed. Jesus said, shh, to, you know, to the water and to the waves. And Jesus is now the guest speaker in your hometown. You've been traveling with him everywhere. And now y'all are going to your hometown. And you are so excited for Jesus to be the guest preacher in your town. And, and they, they're bringing Jesus in, so they put up banners and posters and, you know, and, and on, advertise on the side of the fishing boats, Jesus is coming. And so Jesus is now in town. And the largest crowd ever been gathered is now gathered somewhere between 15 and 20,000 people. This huge, huge crowd is there. And notice what verse 12 of chapter 9 says. When the day began to wear away. In other words, you've been there the whole day. And it's really exciting, and it's neat, and the sun is setting over that beautiful Galilean landscape, and up on the hill are palm trees or banana trees or mango trees or what, what, avocados, and, and, and everybody's gathered in this beautiful grassy place right there on the side of the sea. And, and, and Jesus is speaking, and you're traveling with him. In your hometown, and in your mind, you've made it. You're so glad that all your family is there, and all your relatives are there, and all your friends, and all the people said you'd never amount to anything, and you know all the rabbi students, you know who who had been picked earlier, and you've been passed over, and now you're with the rabbi of all rabbis, and they all showed up, and you think I've made it, and you're so excited to show Jesus off to your friends and family, and you have this guest in, and he's preaching, and at 12 noon. He's not even kind of winding it down. He is still going strong. At 1230, he's still preaching. At 1 o'clock, he's still preaching. Not even thinking about landing the plane. And you, in your mind, you're thinking, well, we already missed the first NFL game, and, and now you're hoping that you can get to lunch and, and get home in time for the 3 o'clock game. But 2 o'clock, he's still going. 2.30, he's still going. 3 o'clock, he is still going. And that's what the Bible means when it says, and the day began to wear away. And Jesus is just going and going and going, and probably three or four o'clock, you know, he's still going. And so some of the disciples gather, you know, maybe they went in the green room backstage and they're gathered around one another and saying, what are we going to do? I mean, this is unbelievable. I, I mean, we got, we got to do something. He's still going. I don't think he knows what time it is. We have been here all day, and we're in this deserted place. That's another thing that the Bible says about where they are is that they're in the middle of nowhere, right? So there's no McDonald's. 
No Taco Bell in Chicago. There's no Portillo's, which is phenomenal. And, and, and there, there's none of these places to go to. There's certainly not a nice steakhouse like a Mahogany's or a Polo Grill. Or what. There, there's no Starbucks, you know, that we can pop into. And so being the, the smart disciple that you are, you gather your guys together backstage and you have this little committee on committees. And this huddle is happening. And, and look at verse 12, and you get an idea of what's playing out here. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to Jesus and they said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing here to eat in this remote place. Now picture this. Put yourself there with the disciples. They, by the way, I think are more concerned of themselves than they are the people. Right? But they're smart, and they're super spiritual, so they're not going to say it that way. And so they gather around and say, what are we going to do about this? He, he's still going. Jesus is teaching on and on and on, and we got to stop him. And, and so one of them give, is given the assignment to go interrupt Jesus. And maybe he's standing kind of behind that curtain going, pss, pss, pss. Jesus is still going. He's not looking. And so, you know, he does it again, pss, pss. Maybe he throws something out, you know, to get his attention. But he walks out onto the stage, and, and, and he, he speaks to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, listen, listen. We've been talking, the 12, the guys you chose. We're, we're, we're all been huddled in the back, and we, we've had this discussion. We've had this meeting, and uh, 12 of us, we, we could go all night. We love this. It's phenomenal. Best we've ever heard, Jesus. In fact, we'll put this in the Bible. You know, and, and, and I mean, it's just going on and on and on. And, and, and so they, they said, Jesus, but we're concerned about the people. We're good, but the people, they're hungry. And, and we think you should send them away. We think you should dismiss them. And, and the question is, is the people are hungry. They got to go to town. And there's nothing to eat here. Now, what do you think Jesus' response is going to be? He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords and the prince of peace. He spoke this whole universe into existence. What do you think he's going to say? You think he's going to say, yeah, you guys are right. Thank you for meeting. I'm so glad that you got your heads together and you're all on one page. Thank you. You guys, you need to go home. No, let's look and see what he says. Look at verse 13. But Jesus said, you feed them. Now imagine you're the guy that had the assignment to come out on stage in front of 20,000 people. And you just told Jesus, hey, can you send them home? We think they're hungry. The children are restless. Some of them are swimming. Nobody's listening. Jesus, you, you got to do something. You got to send them home. And Jesus says, oh, oh you, you think they're hungry? Yeah, we, we think they're hungry. Oh, yeah, good idea. Well, we'll give them something to eat. And now you go back into the huddle and you're back in the green room and you, you come in and they like, what did he say? Did you tell him? Yeah, we, we, I told him. Is he going to stop the service? No. <laughs> well, what did he say? Well, he said, <laughs> what? What did he say? Well, he, he, he said, give them something to eat. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, give them something to eat. To which they all look around and go, did you tell him to count the people? There's 20,000 people out there. And about that time, somebody kind of, you know, is on his way to the restroom, walks by the little huddle, and it's a little boy with a long John Silver's bag, and you say, give me that. And you grab that thing, and you look inside, and inside, you know, there's five fishes and two loaves. The boy loves carbs, right? He asked for the extra roll. 
And, and, and so he's got that, and, and, and Peter's eyeballing that roll, you know, because he wants it, and he's hungry. And, and they look inside, and there's the fish and the rolls, and, and, and they go, oh, we got it. Go back and tell Jesus that we tried to follow his orders. And we've been surveying the situation, and we looked at everything, and we've gathered the food, and take this to him and say, Jesus, and this is all we got. Ah, oh, good idea. That's what we'll tell Jesus. And so he, he walks out on Jesus. Psst, psst, psst. Jesus, we've been trying to do what you said. Give him something to eat. We've, we've looked all around, and this is all we have. To which Jesus says, okay, that'll be great. Set them in groups of 50. He's like, no, 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 Jesus, I didn't say we have this for all people. This is all we have. And he says, yeah, that, that'll be fine. Hey, set them in groups of 50. Now, I don't know how much leading of people you've ever done. But people, especially followers of Jesus, it's like herding cats sometimes. You, you, you just ask the people that work in the parking lot how well you all listen, right? In fact, let's just say thank you to all the people that work in the parking lot. And, and uh, thank you. And they, they stand at the doors and they greet people. And they, hey, six snowstorms since Christmas. And, and they've been out there and they've been welcoming. And you didn't come, but they were out there. And, and, and they were ready for you. And, and, and so this group is saying, Jesus, what, what do you mean set them in groups of 50? This is all we have. That, that will be fine. Listen, Jesus, I looked inside. There's only two fish and, and five loaves. And, 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 and it, yeah, they'll be fine. Set them down in groups of 50. And so, you know, they, they get them set. You go back to the group, and while, while you're huddling with the group, the huddler's waiting on you, and they say, did, did you tell him that this is all we have? Yeah. Oh, oh is he going to dismiss? No. Well, what did he say? He, he said, set them down. What do you mean, set them down? He said, set them in groups of 50, and, and, and this thing is playing out. And, and some, you know, big guy, for those of you in Chicago, like William Perry, refrigerator guy, he, he, he goes, we're going to eat. He's going to give us something to eat. And so now he's helping set everybody down in groups of 50, and he's kind of taking charge. Now, I think the disciples at this point, I think personally they figured it out. That, you, know, that, you know, they had just come off the boat where he said, shh, to the waves. And the storm stopped, right? And, and, and Peter's mother-in-law is healed and all of that, which we know Peter didn't ask for that. But, but, but it happened, right? And all of this is playing out. And in this story, now, the disciples, listen, they read the Bible. They knew the story of where Elijah fed, you know, 100 people with 12 loaves of bread. They knew that. And they're like, ah, oh, we got it. He's going to multiply it. That's what Jesus is going to do. He's setting them in groups of 50. He's about to take this, this fish and this bread, and he's going to multiply it. They're clued in. They think they figured it out. But we learned that they missed it, that, that they didn't do what they thought he was going to do. And the miracle that he did that day was different than what they thought. And in all the years that we've read it, we've missed it. And all the years that, you know, we taught it in Sunday school, I think most of us have missed it because Jesus sets them down and, and they say, here's the food, Jesus. And they hand him the food and they say, now, Jesus, okay, pray over it. Pray, Jesus. Pray, 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 pray. And so the Bible says that Jesus prayed. Go to verse 16 and pay close attention to what happens here. So Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish he looked up toward heaven 
And he blessed them. Circle that in your Bible. Blessed. He blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. Now now think about this. You've got this piece of bread. and, And you give this piece of bread to Jesus. And he takes it and he prays over it and it's blessed. And then he breaks it and gives it back to you. Jesus, it's smaller than when I gave it to you. Perhaps you should pray again. I think, Jesus, you should pray with faith. When you pray, you should incorporate faith into your prayer. And and you're looking at it going, Lord, are you done praying? Clearly, you cannot be done praying. I think you should pray more. And Jesus is like, no, no, I'm sure. I blessed it. I blessed it. It's blessed. Now give it to the people. And, and the disciples, you know, they put it in the basket and they go around and they hand it out to the big guy sitting right here in the orange shirt and, and, and they say, you know, and he takes it and you're like, quit, that's too much. Take a little piece. There's not enough for you, right? And, and, and so his family takes what he wants and, and, and you go down and, you know, her family takes what, what, what she wants and, and then they take what they want and you look and there's still bread, and there's still bread in there. And three or four families now have all that they want. And you got $5 footlongs in the thing. <laughs> and you're handing it out. And here's the whole point about this. Think about this. And I want you to see this. As you look back and you look at the story, Jesus did not multiply it in his hands. He multiplied it in the disciples' hands. And now the disciples are getting it as they're looking in the basket going, Jesus didn't multiply this in his hands. He multiplied it in my hands. And this is what we've missed all these years when you look at this text. The miracle did not happen in the master's hands. The miracle happened in the disciples' hands. Jesus did not multiply it until they gave it away. All he did was bless it. And so this is the multiplication principle. I'm going to give it to you in two parts, okay? And I don't want you to miss it. I want you to write it down. The first part is this. In order for something to multiply, it has to be blessed. In order for something to multiply, it has to be blessed. And in order for something to be blessed, it has to be given to the Lord. You understand? You have to give it to the Lord first. That's how multiplication starts. It has to be blessed before it can be multiplied. And the way it is blessed is when we give it to the Lord, when we give it to God. Now, I want you to look at the drawings that I've given you on the notes today, okay? And I want you to follow along with these drawings. And on those drawings, uh, you have at the top God, right? Because that's where he is. And down here below is us. And there's an arrow that comes down to us. And so God, we know, is the owner of all things, right? Everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God. Everything's distributed by God. And so God takes what is his and he places it in our hands. Now we have it. And now we have an option. We give it back to God. Now, how, how do we bring it back to God? How do we give it back to God? Well, a couple of ways. Literally, through the tithe. I'm going to talk about it in a moment, okay? God said the tithe is mine. The first tenth is mine. The first fruits are mine. But figuratively and symbolically, we don't just give him the tithe. We give him all of it. When we say, here's the tithe to you, God, and I want you to be in charge of the whole 100%. Why? Because I'm a steward and you're an owner. And when this transaction happens, right, it began with God, came to us, and then it goes back to God. And when that transaction happens, blessed 
is what happens. Write it right in the middle of that circle. Blessed. That's the way that things are blessed in our hands and blessed in our lives. And you watch this play out. This is why so many people never see their finances multiply. And they don't see financial abundance in their lives because they don't give the first portion to God. And if you hold on what belongs to God, everything else is not blessed. And I've said this to you a thousand times before. Would you rather have 90% in your hands that's blessed or 100% that's cursed? I'm just going to tell you, I've learned, I'd rather have 5% that's blessed than 100% that's cursed. It has to be blessed before it can multiply. I want you to see that this is so clear in this scripture. And I've had, I've had people say to me, Pastor, listen, I've given, I've tried giving, and I've never experienced this. I, I've never seen this play out. Listen, it's not blessed. It's not blessed until you give it to the Lord. And the disciples, what did they do? They gave it to the Lord. They took the only lunch and they gave it to the Lord. So simple question. What do we give to the Lord? What, what is his? What is it that we have in our hands that really belongs to God? Simple question. And the answer to that question generally is all of it, right? Because he's the owner and we're the steward. But the specific question is, is he has placed in our hands what's his and what he declares is his is the tenth. Right off the top, it belongs to God. We don't own that. God owns that. He has said it is mine. It belongs to me, but it's in our hands. Why? It's a test. That's the whole point of the tithe. God, the scripture tells us that over and over and over again, that this is a test. It's a test of our faith to take what he places in our hands and to hand it back over to God. But once we do that, he blesses it. And not only does he bless that, he blesses everything else. It's the first portion. It has the power to bless everything else. It's what we bring to God because he said it's his and it has the power to bless the rest of our wallet. Our tithe has the ability to bless the rest. I promise you that is true all throughout scripture. And so this is the first thing we do. We give first. We bring the tithe to the storehouse where it belongs. We give it to the Lord and the Lord blesses it. And you see this play out in the scripture over and over and over again. We give it to the Lord and the Lord blesses it. That's the first part of the multiplication principle. Here's the second. In order for something to multiply, it has to be given. In order for something to multiply, it has to be giving. It has to be blessed before it can multiply. So that's giving our first to the Lord. Then we give over and above that. When we give, we give over and above Above the tithe, and that's when we begin to see multiplication take place in our lives. Two things I want you to see, and I don't want you to miss it. If they had never given it to the Lord, it wouldn't be blessed in the first place. And second, if they had just eaten what was blessed and not given it, it wouldn't have multiplied either, right? It, it, it could have multiplied in their stomach as carbs, right, or fat or whatever, but, but it wouldn't have multiplied for their use, it, it may have multiplied in them and in their consumption, but it would have never multiplied for their use. And, and, and let me say it this way. What's given to the Lord is blessed. What's given again is multiplied. Are you following me? You see this play out in Scripture over and over and over and over again. And, and, and here's the problem. Some people say, I've been tithing for years, and they say, we've never seen this multiplication that some pastors talk about. Never seen that play out. And, and here's the point. Okay, and then here's the conversation. And, and I've had this conversation with many people in a very casual way, in a very eye-opening way, but the truth of the matter is, is they've never given. They, they've just been bringers. 
They've just been bringing the tithe back to God, but they're giving to God what's already God's. They're not giving to God. It's not giving when you bring the tithe back to God what already belongs to him. Here's what's happening. They eat what's blessed. And they take what is blessed, what has the potential to multiply. Listen, the only thing that has the potential to multiply is what has been blessed. And if you take what has been blessed and you never give it, it will never multiply. Are you following me? And some of you are incredibly uncomfortable with this whole topic. Right? Are you uncomfortable today? Some of you get so uncomfortable with this. And here's what people have said to me. I don't think God should be in my wallet. In fact, I think he should stay out of my wallet. In fact, I've had a couple people say to me before, I don't think God even wants in my wallet. Now, let me, let me ask you this question. You ever had financial trouble or financial problem or financial woe? Who, who do you go to in that moment? Don't you go to God? And, and, and don't you go pray, and don't you want God in your wallet at that point, right? Aren't you talking to God about the merit raise and praying the boss will see the merit, right? And the bonus at Christmas and the cost of living. Uh, and you're sending him email saying, you know, I just want you to know the cost of living this year was four and a half, not two and a half. And, and, uh, but you're praying through that whole process. You're praying, and, and, and you say, we all do that, right? And I think it's fine. I think it's great that we do that. But you need to go to God. You do when you're having financial trouble. But what if you went to God before you had financial trouble? If it's okay to go to God when you're having trouble, why not inviting in when you're not having trouble? If he can bless and he can multiply what you have when what you have is little, just think what he can do if he blesses and multiplies what you have when what you have is a lot. Look back at Luke 9 and you look at the end of the story here. I want to show you two things real quick. Two things that the disciples learned. Look at verse 17. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. The, the first thing is that you see there is that they all ate as much as they wanted. And sometimes here's what we're tempted to think. If I give in this way, I won't have enough. And if I give from what the Lord has blessed and placed in my hands, then I, I might not have enough to take care of me. I might not have enough to take care of mine. And that's when fear sneaks in. And where does fear come from? Are you understanding what I'm telling you today? Listen, fear doesn't come from God. The Bible tells God hadn't given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of sound mind, of faith, and self-control. But Jesus is telling us, he's reassuring us. He's saying, listen, if you give to me and if you trust me, you will eat as much as you need. You will have what you need. Is that what the Bible says? That's not what the Bible says. Okay, that, that, that's fear, that we won't have enough to care for our needs. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, you give and you'll have what you need. But that's not what the Bible says. Take a look again at the scripture again. It says they all ate as much as they wanted. This is not that they're scraping by. This is, this is multiplication taking place. And the disciples gave what they had, and Jesus blessed it, and they gave it away, and it was multiplied. Go back to the drawing, okay, and the second little circle thing that I gave you, right? So we got the first one. It comes from God. It's placed in our hands. We give back to God. We bring back to God what is his. It's blessed. Now what God does 
it, it, because it, it's all a test, right? He places it back in our hands again, and, and he's given us a tool in our hands to do something with. Now it's in our hands, and the 90% is in our hands, and it has been blessed. And now when we give before we brought, now we give from what the Lord has placed in our hands, and what happens in the middle of that circle is called multiplication. I want you to write it down. What happens in that scenario is multiplication. And, and, and I've seen it over and over and over and over and over and over, over again in people's lives. I've seen it over and over again in my own life. Listen, when, when I sit down and talk to people, rarely do it, does somebody sit down with me and say, well, pastor, my problem is I'm greedy. Never heard it. I've never heard anybody say that, right? Greed is so much easier to see in somebody else's mirror than it is in our own, Right? But here's what I believe. Listen, in all the conversations I've had with people about this, and I love having conversations about this because I love watching the lights go off in people's eyes. Here's what I see more than greed in people's lives is fear. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I won't have enough. I, I, and listen, that's not from God. That is satanic influence that sneaks in. You say, that is a bold step to call that satanic influence. Think about this. Listen, when you're afraid to give, what happens? What happens when you're afraid to give? You don't give. You're not blessed. There's no potential for multiplication. The church does not bless. The kingdom of God does not advance. And who wants the kingdom of God to stop advancing? The devil. Are you watching this play out? That's not from God. Who is it that wants the kingdom to stop advancing? It's the enemy. And so he sneaks in and he whispers to you in your ear, you won't have enough. Your kids won't be taken care of. And he tries to make you afraid. And God's saying, don't worry. Trust me. I will bless it. And God is trying to shout over the words of the enemy. And he's trying to tell you, not only will I bless you, you will have enough. And I will bless you with more than enough. That's what he's saying. And the second part of the lesson the disciples learned, listen, they went and picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. I don't know what kind of basket or what size. The Bible's not real clear as what size. Maybe it was this size. Maybe it's the kind of baskets, you know, that your wife put all in your office. I have no idea where you got all those baskets. We don't know what size basket it is. But I like to think it's like an Ethiopian basket. Because when we went to Ethiopia, Meredith saw those baskets. And she said, I got to have one of those baskets. And I, I am negotiating all over the country for these baskets. And, you know, haggling over a dollar with, with these Ethiopians. And, and, and the basket is big. I mean, it's like this big. Like two or three of our kids can get in it. And finally, I end up telling the guy, listen, I'm going to give you more than you're asking, but you've got to get it to the guest house. Because it isn't fitting in the van. Right? And I'm thinking, how are we going to get this thing home? A couple of our kids are going to have to ride in it in the seat. We'll put a seatbelt around. I'm not sure how we're getting this basket home. How are we going to check it? How are we going to get home? And finally, we got it wrapped up and stuff, stuff, paper in it and a bag around. And somehow we got that basket home. And it came and it made it in one piece. And it sits over in the corner of our bedroom. And when the kids are playing hide and go seek, every once in a while, somebody's in the basket. We've been missing a cat for about two years, I think, maybe. <laughs> in the basket. We don't know what size basket, but I love to think and love to picture this big old basket. And each of these disciples came, why 12? Why does the Bible point that out that there were 12 baskets? 12 disciples. He didn't want one of them to miss it. Every disciple had to carry a basket out of that miracle. 
full of leftovers, a doggy bag for every disciple. From five loaves of bread and two little fishes, Jesus blessed it and the disciples took the bread and they watched it multiply as they gave it. And when it was all over, each of them had a basket full to take home with them. And it was a reminder. Listen, the reminder was that God blessed what they brought and he multiplied what they gave. That he blessed what they brought and he multiplied what they gave. And now they had tangible evidence in their hands so they would not forget it. And God wants to do that for you today. He wants to do that in your heart and he wants to do that in your life and he wants to give you a full basket today when you walk out of this place. He wants to bless you and he will bless what you bring and he will multiply what you give. And that's the way that God does it so that you will have a full basket to carry away from here. And God wants to meet you right where you are today. That's the beautiful thing about our God. You say, how do you teach thousands and thousands of people? How do you teach in a room where many don't have a relationship with the Lord and many are advanced in their walk with Christ? Listen, the Holy Spirit has to do that. And God is so powerful and so big and so strong and so mighty, he can come to each chair and he can meet you right where you are and meet you in your need, right where your need is, and right beside you meet an entirely different need. And when we all get done, he's not tired. And he's done in the lives of his children what he wants to do. And he meets us right where we are. And so here's what I want to ask you to do on every campus this morning. Would you bow your heads? And would you close your eyes? And those of you who listen to the Holy Spirit, would you already begin praying with me this morning? You're praying. And the question today for all of us is, will you trust Him? Will you trust God? And today as we pray, I, I know and I understand, and I want you to know and I want you to understand that God meets us where we are. And some of you are here today and you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior. You've never received salvation. You don't have a personal relationship uh, with Jesus. But today I want to invite you to cross that faith line and give your life to him. And so right where you're seated, no matter what campus you're on today and no matter where you're watching from, you understand this, God wants to meet you right where you are. And he wants to save you. And he wants a personal relationship with you. And if you want to cross that faith line and give your life to him right where you're seated, would you just pray and say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, would you come into my life as my Lord? Would you come in and call the shots in my life? Would you come in as my Savior and my forgiver? In the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. And I want to thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. For saving me. Before I say amen, perhaps you're here today and you're already a believer, but maybe you've never even heard of the tithe. Maybe you've never understood that God has declared the first fruits belong to Him. Maybe you've never uh, seen clearly that God said the first tenth of all that He places in our hands is His and that we're to bring that back to Him. And maybe you're here and maybe you've dropped money in the bucket or 
Uh, maybe you've responded to offering calls before, but you're not a tither. And, and you're not bringing 10%. You're not a priority, a percentage, or a perpetual tither. But you want to be. And you want to take a step of faith today. You want to take a step of faith. I want to join with you in your faith, and I want to pray for you. And so right where you're seated on every campus, if that's you, I want to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me, Pastor. I'm not a tither, but I want to be. Just put your hand up high and let me see it all across the room. Just put it up. I want to be. Pray that God would give me that kind of faith to trust him that way to make it priority, to make it percentage, to make it perpetual, that it's on and on and on. It's a commitment of my life. Just slip your hands up. And with those hands raised, I want to pray. And I pray, Father, for every hand that is raised on every campus today, that you'd meet them right where they are. And that as you call them to obedience and you call them to be faithful and you call them to trust you, I pray, Father, that you would meet them right where they are and you'd give them faith. Faith. You told us what the faith of a mustard seed could do in our lives. What would the faith do of trusting you with the first fruits and the first tenth of everything you place in our hands? I pray, Father, that you would help them to become tithers, help them become obedient, help them to be in a position to be blessed. You can put your hands down. Perhaps you entered in today and you're already a tither. And maybe you're like me, you learned to tithe as a teenager. You've just been doing it for years and years and years. And God's calling you today to step across that line into the land of the giving, into the land of multiplication. He's asking you to do that, and you need to ask God for faith. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, that's me, I, I, I want to trust him in that way. Would you pray with me and would you pray for me? Would you just slip your hand on every campus up? Say, I'm a tither, but I want to be a giver. Slip it up high and let me see it all across the room. Every campus, hold it up. And Father, for the dozens and dozens of hands in our midst, I pray right now that you'd meet them where they are and that you would help them cross that line and to advance in their journey with you and their growth with you and their relationship. Father, I just pray that you would take them to the place where they pray and talk to you about everything and that they hear from you and they understand the leading of the Holy Spirit in their lives with all that's been placed in their hands. You can put your hands down. And Father, for all of us in the room today and all of us in all the rooms today, you have called all of us to a faith step. I found in my journey with you, God, there's never a day that you're not asking me to take a step of faith. Father, we pray today for those in our midst who have trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior and become believers today. And Father, we pray for those who've trusted Jesus as the owner of everything and have become tithers today. And Lord, we pray for those who've trusted Jesus as the King of Kings today and become givers. Father, may they all grow deeply experience you richly, advance greatly, and be blessed abundantly. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray, and together we all say amen and amen. Would you thank the Lord today for the truth of his word? We give you honor and glory. Lord Jesus Christ.